0: times that we battle with recognizing that Christ is enough. Think for a moment if you've been with us the past couple weeks, we've been studying about the table uh, and what we offer, what we bring to the table. Many of us bring a lot of things to the table. If we were interviewing for a job, I'm sure many of you could come up with a long list of things that you've accomplished or things that you've done and you bring those to the table and you say, look at who I am. And if Christ were seated at the table, and you were to join him at the table as he's inviting you to sit with him at the table, what are those things that you would bring to him? That you would say, Here I am, Christ. This is who I am. I'm bringing these things to the table. And Christ would come, and like we talked about the first week, he would, he would probably wipe those things away, like in history he did last week when he turned the tables in the temple. He would probably wipe those things off the table and say, What you bring to the table is not worthy. The things that you can offer me... Are, don't measure up they don't add up to who I am instead bring nothing to the table except for yourself and let me do the rest last week we talked about Christ being the bread of life and Matthew telling us that through Jesus words that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled when we hunger for Christ and when we thirst for Christ then we can be satisfied Think back just this past week. How many moments were you dissatisfied with something? I mean, honestly, just being real and open, I'm real dissatisfied with the air conditioner right now. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not meeting my expectations at all. I wish it was a little bit cooler in here. Then I would be satisfied until it turned off. And then I would be dissatisfied once more or until I got too cold. I mean, we just live through this cycle of dissatisfaction. Christ is pleading with us. I mean, dramatically pleading with us on the cross and then pleading with us through the through the empty tomb saying, I am enough. I'm enough for you. You can be satisfied in me. Try and bring stuff to the table and see if it, see if you'll be satisfied. Try and bring extra things. Do more. Do more like our society tells us. Do as much as you can. Bring that to the table and see if you will be satisfied. And Christ is saying, in Christ alone will you be satisfied. I am enough for you to be satisfied. So that's really the question this morning. As we think about, if you have any kind of knowledge of, of Easter Sunday, as we think about the, the, the historical moment when the two ladies go to the tomb and there and it is empty. Christ has risen. He has conquered death and defeated sin. He's saying, uh, this is the best day in history, and we recognize that, and we say, ah, okay, this is incredible. This is awesome. This is worth dressing up for. This is worth attending a new uh, service or worship time or meeting with people for. This is really worth living for. And then, as we were talking about just moments ago, Easter Monday happens, and will we still be satisfied in Christ? those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled so if we're thirsting after christ and being hungry for christ then we will be satisfied then we will be filled but until that moment we will continue living in dissatisfaction so we got to come to the moment where we can say christ is christ is enough and i could say amen right there and we wouldn't even have to go any further we could go enjoy the cool weather outside but because i'm a preacher we better keep going I told you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. And in this, in this uh, section of scripture here, Matthew chapter 26, uh, we have the days and the moments leading up to the, uh, the death and resurrection of Christ. So, so we're actually going back in time for a moment. If we're celebrating historically, we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. We think about moments before, as Christ begins uh, sharing some new things with his followers. He he brings up a a new thing, though they've been celebrating it for a long time, uh, this Passover meal. He still brings up some new points, some new things to think about. So think for a second. The Israelites have been celebrating the Passover for at least 1,500 years. Tradition came in. They had some things that were taught to them. That this is what we're going to celebrate when we come and celebrate the Passover meal. If you're familiar with, the Passover meal is the celebration of when God's Spirit passed over the Israelites and did not let His wrath be poured out on them. He did not let His anger be burned against them. He did not take their life. Instead, He gave them life. And so the Israelites celebrate the Passover because of this extraordinary moment where God said, this is what's going to happen, and He confirmed it by it actually happening. And so the Israelites celebrate the Passover. In, in Exodus chapter six, there's this moment where Moses is talking about this new covenant that God is going to, or this new contract that he's going to give to the Israelites. And he says these things. In verse six, he says, say therefore to the people of Israel that I am the Lord. And he says four things. He says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So write that down if you like to take notes. I will bring you out. From under the burdens of the Egyptians. So God is saying in this contract, I'm going to bring you out from underneath the burdens that those on this world have put upon you. Think for a moment to what Christ has said. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I'm going to take that burden off of you. I will, I will bring that burden off you and take it upon myself. Then he goes on to say, and then say this, and I will deliver you from slavery from them or to them. I will take you out of slavery. So I will bring you, I will take those burdens off of you, but I will also take you or free you from slavery. The same thing today, we still celebrate that Christ is freeing us from the bondage or the slavery of sin. So when we say that Christ defeated sin or conquered sin, we're saying that he abolished sin slavery. He took it away from us. Never for us to be in bondage to it again. I mean, that's, that's a reason to celebrate. When that tomb is empty, we say, he abolished the slavery of sin. Let's, let's celebrate that moment that we will be delivered from the slavery of sin. Then he goes on to say, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Think about it in our context. He's going to redeem us with outstretched arms. We celebrate a good Friday, though it's not so good for Christ, but great for us. We celebrate a good Friday with outstretched arms. We would say that Christ has redeemed us. He's bought us back by purchasing us, purchasing us with his own life. He redeemed us from the pit of hell. He redeemed us from the slavery of sin and purchased us with his own, with his own blood. I mean, that's something to celebrate that's something to in this case raise a cup to and toast and say we're going to celebrate what Christ has done for us we're going to celebrate what the almighty God has done for us in redeeming us in this way and then he says the last statement he makes is in verse 7 I will take you to be my people if you've been with us at all in Ephesians Paul is talking to us about how we are this we have this new inheritance because of what Christ has done we've been adopted into his family we have we have Become. We were no. We were not a people, and because of Christ, we have become a people. I will bring you to myself and create you a people. So think for a moment as we're in Matthew chapter 26 when Christ is talking about the Lord's Supper and the Passover. Those four things. Those guys are thinking about the disciples who were sitting around the table with Christ, and he starts he starts talking about the Passover. They're thinking about these four things. That I'm going to be redeemed that I'm going to be a new people, that the burdens are going to be taken away, that the slavery that I was a part of is going to be abolished. I will no longer be slaves to that again. And they begin studying these things, and Christ talks about these things as he's thinking about this new Passover to celebrate. verse 17 says this, Matthew chapter 26. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for for you to eat the Passover? It's a tradition. It's a celebration that had been going on for, like I said, almost 1,500 years. They're celebrating this moment where they can say, God has acted in this way he's delivered us he's removed the burdens from us he's made us a people he's taken us out of slavery so where can we celebrate this passover and he said go into the city to a certain man and say to him the teacher says my time is at hand i will keep the passover at your house with my disciples so they begin setting the table basically let's where can we celebrate the passover where is there a table available for us to sit down at and eat the passover meal where can we go and verse 19 says and the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. So just being a real honest leader that Christ is, he recognizes that not everybody's on board with him. Not everybody's on the same page. Not everybody sees what's coming. Instead, some are against what he's doing. Some don't see him as the deliverer. Some don't see him as the Emmanuel God with them. Some see him as a, as a false teacher, as a, as a liar. Some see him as a hypocrite. Some see him as blasphemous. And so because of that, he recognizes one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after the other, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And the Son of Man goes, as it is written of him, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be have been better for that man not to even been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. And then he goes on. We have that moment of betrayal. And then we move on to the Passover. The Passover meal, or the Lord's Supper as we call it today. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. It's a little bit new, a little bit different than the typical Passover meal. Wait a minute, what? We're eating the bread, which is very familiar we we've broken bread it's part of our tradition we're very uh, we understand all that but now you're saying that this bread is your body i remember last week the bread of life broken for you christ is saying yeah this bread is symbolic in saying that this is my body that is going to break for you just like you were broken out of slavery Just like I redeemed you, God said out of the the Israel or the Egyptians' hand, I am breaking my body to redeem you. I'm giving you opportunity for life. Take, eat this body. And then, verse 27 says this, and then he took a cup. Maybe you should remember that part. He took one cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. So he took one cup which is a little bit awkward. I mean, we've we got a large enough family, large enough. Uh, you know, there's four of us, that, four kids and two, whatever we are, adults. And um, and we like to share, but, I, but I'm going to be real honest, I don't want to share my cup. Like, I, I don't want to drink after someone else. It's disgusting, right? And so if we're going to sit down on a meal, there needs to be a, enough cups for all of us. Daddy, can I share with you? Hey, I love you, but no. Get your own cup. F- fill it up yourself. But Christ, at this moment, in this celebration, says... Take of this cup. Was symbolic. He wanted them to grab of the cup that he was preparing for them. The cup of salvation. Not like the cup in Isaiah 51. The cup of God's wrath. But instead the cup of salvation that Christ was preparing for them. See, he could have easily said, this cup that I'm preparing for you is the cup of God's wrath. Drink it. Die. But instead, this is the cup that I'm pouring for you and I want you to take of it. And he says, why? this is why. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. They would recognize this from Exodus 24 when Moses first talked about the blood being sprinkled on them. Uh, God gave them the covenant. He said, this is what I want you to do. The Israelites said, we hear this, and so we will do it. And Moses said, it's not enough. You can hear the words, but you also need to be covered in the blood. The blood of the covenant. So hearing the words is one thing, but actually reaching out and taking the blood is another thing. And I think for many of us, we have to do that. For all of us, we have to do that. For some of us, haven't even taken part of that yet. The cup is being offered, the cup of salvation, Christ's blood to cover your sins so that you get forgiveness of your sins. It's a matter of you reaching out and grabbing that cup, saying, I recognize that Christ is Lord. I recognize that His sacrifice on the cross, His conquering of death and sin gives me hope, and I should drink of the cup of salvation. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So it gives this uh, future tale of what I'm going to, a future truth when I'm going to sit again with all my people and dine and eat and celebrate the conquering of death. The redeeming out of slavery, the burdens being lifted, all these things we're going to celebrate together at the table in the Lord's kingdom. Now this is huge. I want to bring to you, as the Passover is being taught and as it's being taken, there are four cups that are lifted up. Those four things that I mentioned to you earlier out of, out of Exodus chapter 6, these things about being redeemed, about the burdens being lifted, about slavery being abolished. And about God making these people His people, and so in the Lord's Supper, the Passover moment, Christ is talking about those things. And there's a moment when tradition comes in, and they have this moment called a dayenu. It's a song that they sing and they recite with one another. And this is what it, this is how it goes. So Jesus would have said something like this: uh, If God would have taken us out of Egypt, and not executed judgment upon them, and the reply would have been, the day de- they knew, would have been, it would have been enough for us. So Christ would have said, if he would have executed judgment upon them and not upon their idols, and the disciples would have repeated, it would have been enough. If he would have judged their idols and not killed their firstborn, it would have been enough for us. If he would have killed their firstborn and not giving us their wealth, it would have been enough for us. So do you hear it? The disciples, the Israelites at the Passover meal, they're recognizing, even if God would have only done this, it would have been enough for us. If He would have only acted in this way, it still would have been enough for us. If He would have given us their wealth and not split the sea for us, it would have been enough. If He would have split the sea for us and not let us through on it on dry land, it would have been enough for us. If He, if he would have let us through on it, the dry land, and not drowned our enemies, it still would have been enough for us if we would have drowned our, if he would have drowned our enemies in it and not provided for our needs in the desert for 40 years it would have been enough for us so this moment in the passover meal the you, when christ as the rabbi or the teacher is leading this meal and he's saying Re- repeat after me say after me through tradition this is what we've been taught so i'm going to say this if god would have done these things you will reply it would have been enough for us but I think at that moment, Christ knowing everything, he knew that it wasn't enough. He, he recognized in that moment that there's more to life than God splitting the sea and walking on dry land. There's more to life than manna being rained down from heaven and rock being opened up with water coming out so that they could drink. There's more to life than that. In fact, I think at that moment, Christ, as he's saying, it would have been enough. knew. No, no, I am only enough. Christ and Christ alone is enough. My sacrifice will be enough. Because after this moment, you will need no more. You can be satisfied in me. The disciples thought, okay, all these great things have happened in the past. And some good things are happening now. And tradition has taught us that God is enough. But even if he's not enough, we're going to be satisfied in that. I mean, even if he would have just done these things, it would have been okay. And Christ is saying, I am Enough. The forgiveness of sins comes through the purchase of Christ, through His blood being spilled out, and through the tomb being empty. Christ's resurrection says the cup of salvation, we can drink of it, and Christ will be enough. We have to come to that moment where you recognize we have to say Christ is enough. We have to be satisfied in Him, in Him alone. So that Easter Monday, we don't have to start over. We don't have to say... That was good yesterday. There's a lot of pressure on Easter Sunday, right? I mean, I, I've seen advertisements from churches around. It's like Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, it's the big show. It's the big time. <laughs> it, there's a lot of pressure on Easter Sunday. We've, we've got to do our best on Easter Sunday. Though, so can we ever really top the empty tomb? Can we really ever one up that? Oh uh, yeah, the first Easter was incredible but you should have been at our church because it was even better. Well, that's saying that Christ is not enough. Christ is enough, and we must be satisfied in him and him alone. Then he goes on to say in Matthew 26, it says, so after Christ had talked about this new covenant, it says this, don't miss it, okay? Don't get hung up in tradition as I read this. And when they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I die With you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. All in agreement. I mean, we we can easily agree. Our words can easily, we can say things in agreement. Reaching out, grabbing the cup of salvation, stepping out on faith is a totally different story. We can say he is risen, he is risen indeed. But to walk in faith in that is a totally different story. So they sung a hymn together. Turn to Psalm 116. There's a group of psalms here that were sang at the Passover time. One of them is Psalm 116. And I wonder if Christ might have sang this with his disciples as they're walking to, his <laughs> to when he's betrayed, as they're walking to his death, as they're walking to his sacrifice. I wonder if they sang this together. Psalm 116, verse 1. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Anybody ever plead for mercy before? Because He inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. Just be real with yourself this morning. Have you stopped calling on Him? The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. I mean, think about the stress and anguish in our society today. I mean, don't just think about the things you would put on your resume, but think about the things that you hide from your resume that you're bringing to the table. Don't ask me about those personal things. Don't ask me about the the mercy that I'm pleading for every day or the death that I'm afraid of, the anguish that I have that I carry to the table also. Then I called, verse 4 says, Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray deliver my soul deliver my soul gracious is the Lord and righteous and our God is merciful the Lord preserves the simple when I was brought low he saved me return O oh my soul to your rest for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you think as Christ and his disciples are leading up to his death and his sacrifice think about them singing this song together For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the hand of the living. Christ knows this, though he is freely giving up his life for you and I. He still knows. He has faith in the words of God. He trusts in his God saving him. Though I'm walking this way and though I'm going to say, take this cup from me, the cup of your wrath, because I know the burdens that are coming on with it and the anguish and the despair and all those things that come along with sin. I know that. So take this cup from me. But if it be your will, let it be. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? What can I bring to the table? What should I give to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Not just lift up the cup of salvation and and say, I've lifted up the cup cup of salvation, but instead, and call on the name of the Lord. And I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. We, We lift up the cup of salvation, and we call on the name of the Lord, and we say, because of what Christ has done for me, no longer do I live for myself, but I live for the one who gave it to me. Verse 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. I'm think for a moment when Christ is going through the traditional Passover meal and he's saying... If God would have done these things, and you're going to say it would have been enough, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's not enough. What needs to happen is a sacrifice for your sins. What needs to happen is a conquering of death. What needs to happen is a removal of sins forever. And so just opening the sea is not enough. But Christ dying on the cross and being resurrected from the grave, that is enough. And so Christ lifts up the cup of salvation and says, here's enough. Drink of it. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved by it. Be redeemed by it. Be delivered from the burdens of this world. Don't worry about the anguish that you bring to the table. Let me take it from you. I, mean, I think for I really do think symbolic and for a moment as I come to the table of the Lord every day and I bring all the mess and the garbage that I have and I say, I want to give you a small thing, Lord. Just pick out of all this garbage that's on the table. Paul would call it rubbish. I Pick one thing and say that's worthy enough and God will clear the table like an empty tomb, an empty table, and put on the table the bread of life and the cup of salvation. And he would say, just drink and eat of these things because this is enough for you. Ephesians 1 verse 9. Paul reminds us that the grace of God that we're talking about this morning is lavished out upon us. That his grace is poured out upon us There's so much that cannot be measured. Though you set a measurement, it, it spills over. Daddy, how come my Cheerios keep coming out of the bowl? Because you put too much Cheerios in there. And then when you add the water, the Cheerios flow out of the bowl. Well, what should I do? Well, if you don't want to make a mess, if you don't want your bowl overflowing, don't put so much Cheerios and milk in the bowl. You can't tell that to God. You can't say, hey, God, you've given me too much grace, all right? I understand your grace is lavished upon me, and it's overflowing, but could you just stop a little bit? Instead, God says, I'm going to lavish upon you. Psalm 23, we've been talking about it. You're familiar with it. Lord is my shepherd. and I shall not want. I'll be satisfied in my good shepherd, and my cup overflows. It will be filled and filled and filled and filled. It will not stop being filled. Oh, what great God we have that would say, you wanted the tomb to be empty, but it's not. You set a guard in front of it to keep it safe, but it wasn't powerful enough. The tomb is not empty. There's nothing in it, but your cup will be overflowing with the grace of God. The cup of salvation is to be grabbed, to be drank daily. The gospel is to be heard to yourself and preach to yourself every day. What I'm bringing to the table is not worthy enough, thanks be to God. He wipes it away as far as the east is from the west and gives me a clean table just to dine with the bread of life and the cup of salvation. And I think this morning, if we were to celebrate anything, it would be the fact, yes, the empty grave, but tomorrow grace still fills you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in my weaknesses I recognize that I'm weak and so I need something to happen in my weaknesses and I recognize that God's grace is sufficient. What does sufficient mean? It is enough. Let me think for a moment. It's not just the empty tomb that's enough, but it's the one who walked out of it that is enough. And that's the one that we live for every day. This morning, if you've been to the table before, and you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've drank from the cup of salvation, praise be to God for that. Now drink of it daily. Be satisfied in the bread of life every day. Know that He is enough. If you've never been to the table and said, God, I want salvation. I want to be delivered. I want to be redeemed. Come to the table. Accept Christ and his forgiveness. Lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord so that you will be saved. You can bring sin to the table. Christ will wipe it away. You can bring your burdens to the table and he will carry them off. Christ frees you from all those things. And he wants to be with you every day. Let's pray. God, we know... We understand, my hope is that we understand that you are enough. That there is no more to be done. As your son has said, it is finished. And so because of that, God, help us to live daily for Jesus. Not for ourselves or for others, but only for Jesus. The words of life have taught us that we need to dine at your table, eat of your bread, drink of your cup, and help us to be satisfied in you and you alone. Help us to see that Christ is enough. Through your Holy Spirit, this morning, God, move in us. Help us to respond faithfully to you. Help us to honor and glorify you because you are enough. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We offer an invitation. Basically, we sing a song together, and I'll stand down here, uh, invitation.